God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Oh, man, I, I have this, like, way of doing that for you guys. I, I just love to test you week to week to make sure that you are good. You've got your daily vibration, your weekly vibration of a sound system for you. Congratulations. <laughs> it's great to be with you all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wasn't it so good to hear Joe preach last week? It was awesome to have you up here, brother. I, I'm just really encouraged by how the Lord used you and your sermon. Uh, I got plenty of notes for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring them in, but uh, I, I just wanted to take a moment just to say thanks for covering last week and being in here and serving us uh, together as you brought the word. Let's pray and ask God to be with us as we come to our sermon this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can rest in you, trust in you, that you teach us and guide us, that your word is a perfect treasure for us that helps us to see how to live for you and how to obey you, and how to know you. We pray that you would help us to see the truth of Ecclesiastes 3. God, would you you wipe away the presuppositions of our minds and our hearts as we come to a passage that we may have heard before? God, would you help us to see what you have written right here for our good, for our instruction, that we may honor you and live for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you like a project? Anybody like a project? Like to build stuff, put stuff together? Yes, yeah, you do, brother. (laughs) How many of you have ever been to Ikea? Gotten something from Ikea? Uh Uh-huh. Jacob and I have put together a couple of things from Ikea before, and it is always a joy because of the company. It is never a joy because of the instructions. Mm -hmm. If you've ever gotten anything that you've had to put together, you've gotten a box item, you want to put it together, there is both joy and pain in that process, right? The joy is when it's done. The pain is doing the work, okay? This past week, I had the opportunity not to put something together that came from a box, but to help put together our playscape out here. And on Friday night, we hosted a movie night here at the church uh, where we watched Toy Story and invited some people in from the community. Now, I learned a couple of things through both of those experiences. Number one was that nothing ever goes according to plan, all right? And you would think that, you know, 10 years of being in pastoral ministry, I would understand this. Uh, I have yet to fully master the reality that nothing ever goes to plan, okay? Uh, So, yeah, last last Friday when we were putting together the projector, there was this really wonderful thing that happened, right? We have this giant 20-foot blow-up, like, projector screen. It was really cool. We were super excited. I came to the church at 3 o'clock knowing that the movie was going to be at 6 o'clock and thought, I have all the time in the world to figure this out. Well, 5.55 rolls along, and we've tried four different locations trying to get this projector to work on this screen, and it didn't work. You know why? Not because of my ingenuity, not because of the location, but because of this one thing that I could not control. Anybody want to take a guess to what it was? The sun. The sun. It was too bright out for the projector. It just could not happen. Uh, So thankfully, we have a wonderful auditorium with TVs and a sound system. We have the ability to make popcorn. Though even while we were watching the movie, there was a record of tripping the circuit 
and uh, popping the circuit on the panel, I think we recorded at least 20 times that the movie had to be restarted because it was hot and the air conditioner was trying to go and a sound system and all the TVs. So nothing, friends, went to plan. And the reality of that was because most of it was out of our control. Most of it was out of our control. With all of the best effort, with the best plan, there are just some things that are totally out of our reach. Some things that we just cannot stop that are natural occurrences of life because that is the way that God has planned them. And that's really the reality we're coming to as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That we are not in charge of everything. We're not in charge of everything. We do make decisions. We have responsibility. There are things that we can control in life, but there are far more things that we cannot control that we'd like the ability to control, and we just simply have to look to what the preacher's saying to us to learn today, and maybe today's Bible passage for us, this truth from Ecclesiastes 3, will help us to grapple with our lack of control in life. So in Ecclesiastes 3, I'm going to make one big idea for us, one argument, and the argument's going to be this. It's that we need to embrace the sovereign God who is above time and embrace the limitations of our finite existence. So two ideas for us this morning. We need to embrace the sovereign God who is above time and embrace our finite existence. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the limitations of the human experience according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So let's look at God's word again as I read from this passage, and then I'll help us to see how the author is structuring it for us. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says, There is an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. The first thing the preacher is driving home for us here in these opening eight verses comes right out of the heart of verse one. It says, there is an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven. And so far, what we've learned in Ecclesiastes chapters one and two is that the meaning of life cannot be seen in pleasure, in politics, in Uh, possessions, or even in wisdom. And so the conclusion that the preacher comes to is that we need to seek the Lord. And ultimately, our meaning of life needs to be found in God himself. And while we may see that all of these things don't end up with ultimate significance, we can recognize them as good gifts from God. And so in chapter 3, he's going to be building for us the reality that time does not give us the experience that we want this side of heaven. It is fleeting. It is limited. It is not 
whole. Now, what's really interesting in this is if you try to actually try to like find structure within Hebrew poetry. Does anybody know some of the ways that you find structure in Hebrew poetry? Anybody remember this from our Bible survey classes? There's some good things. Like, you're looking for a structure of passage. Yes. Yeah, so we may read it in like a lyrical form where we're looking for rhyming within words, but their rhyming may actually be in thoughts. Yeah, that's absolutely true. When you're trying to find a a structure to a passage, what's one key thing that we do in our Bible studies? We're looking often for maybe one big idea that everybody can hold on to. Starts with an R. It's again and again and again. Repetition, right? Repetition. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 2 through 8, we see the word time, which is the Hebrew word et, used 29 times. 29 times within these six verses. And the point that the author's trying to conclude to us here is that there's some sort of drawing principle. So as I was studying through this passage, I kept asking myself, as he mentions time again and again here, is he trying to create some sort of progression, right? And we could maybe get that way if we started right off the bat with, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Amen, hallelujah, right? We've got that. There's a time to start and a time to end. But that is not actually what the author is trying to give us here within the progression of these verses. What he's actually doing for us is he's building the reality that there are polar opposites and extremes within life. Uh, Being born is one end, dying is the other, right? So we celebrate the reality of babies born within the church, and we mourn and grieve the loss of those that are facing uh, real loss of people uh, in their death, okay? Those are two realities, but they're on opposite sides of the extreme. And and so we continue to see, as the author builds this polar opposite scheme, things like a time to plant and a time to uproot or pluck up what has been brought to the surface, a time to kill, a time to heal. These are opposites. So there's no logical progression from start to finish within this poem But there is an all-encompassing theme that the author wants us to drive to. And that's the theme that there is the beginning and end of things. But ultimately, when it comes to the reality of time, guess what? We don't have a say in how the seasons go. Right? Now, how many of you had a birthday this year? Or or having a birthday this year. So everybody in the room, right? Every single one of us has a birthday this year. Now, do we get to determine whether or not we make it to our birthday? No. Do we get to determine what our birthday is? No. But these are real points of time. They are made, they're established, but we have no control over them. The reality of time is that we go through seasons that are different, and while we make choices, we make real decisions within these seasons, ultimately, we don't get to shift what season is what in our lives. That's the point the author's trying to drive us to here in verses 1 through 8, that we're limited, but there's somebody who's ruling over time that is unlimited, and that's God. God himself is the one who is over time 
that has established everything according to his ways. That's eventually what the, the preacher actually gets to in verses 11 and 14. It says he has made everything appoint, appropriate in its time. It's not just that there's an occasion for everything, but there's someone who's behind the occasion for everything, and that is the Lord God Almighty. He is behind it all. So that in verse 14, we can hear this reality that everything God does is unlike what we will do as humans. Why, while as humans, we may go from season to season, from life experience to experience, we may have positives and negatives, God, ultimately, what he does, endures forever. We do not have an eternal existence in and of ourselves. Eternity rests in the hands of the Almighty. So if we look at the poem of verses 1 through 8, we, we learn that we are limited by our finite experience. Why are we limited? Anybody know the answer to this? Why are we limited? Did God create us in such a way that we were to have an expiration date? Was that his original intention? Not necessarily, not at least from what we get from Genesis 1 and 2. But there was something that happened in Genesis 3. What was that? The fall, sin. Sin brought into our existence an expiration date. So while each one of us has a birthday, I want to give you another really wonderful statistic. Did you know that 10 out of 10 people die? Every single person dies. This is a reality that the preacher has laid out in chapters 1 and 2. That no matter how many possessions he's built up, no matter how wise he is, no matter how much influence he has in his politics, no matter what he can do in planting, everything has an ending point. And so we, friends, need to recognize that we live, because of the fall, under the reality of death. Death will take its toll on each of us. But our death does not need to be the end of us. We can have eternity in God. That's the meaning that he is driving to here in the second half of this passage. But I just want to dispel a couple of myths that the culture and reality teaches us as we think about our time and our existence. How many of you have heard the saying, do whatever makes you happy in life? Can I ask you a personal question? Has it delivered? No, it usually doesn't deliver, does it? That's, that's the reality, is that it's a shifting target because we may say this makes us happy, but as soon as it doesn't make us happy, we just shift to another thing, right? The problem with looking at these polar opposites, if we were to think of life having its meaning and everything that is joyful and happy, the reality is, is that there are going to be times where we're not joyful and happy, right? People are often, like, a lot of my pastor friends always say that I, I'm very bubbly and, and joyful. And I remind them that I have pain. <laughs> I go through experiences, too. Uh, but each one of us is not guaranteed happiness forever. But here's what the world's message is. Do whatever makes you happy. Continue to just drive after what makes you happy. And so you hear things from people like, well, I left my job because it didn't make me happy. I didn't find fulfillment in it, right? Uh, or let's be real honest right now. We hear about marriages where people say, I left my spouse because they didn't make me happy. Okay? 
is life's design of experience meant to make everything just happy for you? No, that's not the reason behind everything. It's not just happiness. There's more to it. Sometimes we think that meaning comes in all of the happy of the world. That's, that's the message of the world right now. But we need to avoid the opposite message of that too, that meaning's in all the things that are miserable. Right? Aren't we tempted by that too? We, we do this thing where we, we kind of groan and complain, right? Okay? Like parents in the room. Ready? Ready for this one, right? It's like you have your first baby, right? And everybody, like when you're getting ready to have your baby, every, what does everybody say? Oh, when that baby comes around, everything's going to be different. <laughs> it's going to be hard, right? Then you have your first baby, and you're like six months in, and people go, oh, man, you think one's hard. Wait until you have two, right? And Josue and, and Michelle, they got triplets back there. They got seven, okay? So you think you got it hard. They'll tell you something, all right? It, we just do the same where we keep adding on more and more and more and saying, wait until the next thing. It's like this game of measuring how miserable we can be through the experiences of life. Now, guys, it's hard, right? Seven kids, you got to take two cars to church. You got like you got to reorient everything in your lives. Ooh, look at Michelle, she's smiling right now, right? She's like, yeah, this is so real, but why can you smile in these moments? Because it's not all just hard. Guys, look at them right now. You see what they're holding on to? Three girls. Do you know for years, Josue and Michelle prayed that God would give them a girl? Sorry, guys, I put you on the spot and didn't mean to. For years. I remember when, when Davian was born. I remember the gender reveal, right? Oh, man, that was hysterical. We're all, like, gathered around. We're waiting to find out what baby number four is going to be of the Marquez clan, right? And they're all like, we want a girl, we want a girl, we want a girl. Even the boys, they... They open the box, the blue balloons come out, and literally all of them are dejected. They're just like, oh, no, not another one, right? Man, that seems like forever ago. And that, that longing in their heart for God to give them a baby girl was there then. Guess what? They were not in control of that. And the Lord certainly has a sense of humor, doesn't he? For years, they, they're praying. I remember they, they, when they started coming to church here, Josue was like, I, we, may, we, we may have one more. And I'm like, you should. You should have one more. Praying and praying that the Lord would give them a girl. And when I got that phone call, <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was in my, my pop-up camper renovating it. And Josue calls and says, are you sitting down? And I'm like, why should I be sitting? <laughs> and he goes, we're, we're having triplets. I said, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And at that moment, as soon as he said that, I said, Lord, have mercy. Please give Michelle girls <laughs> here. And he delivered. He did. He brought them a, a family full of girls. <laughs> now they've got a ton of kids. <laughs> They're living it up. But it could be tempting for them in light of all that they're facing with the the rhythm of diaper change after diaper change after bottle after bottle after getting the boys to where they need to be, they could be tempted to just go, man, this all stinks. 
parents, do we, do we not do that? I'm often convicted of the times that my girls are driving me up a wall. Yesterday, I was touched out, right? Isla had to be on my hip all day, and then when she wasn't on my hip, Maeve had to be leaning on me. At one point, I was playing a guitar, holding Isla on one knee, and Maeve's trying to lean on the other, and I, I'm just like, I, I need some space. And I look back at that now, and you know what the reality is, is that those are going to be things that I long for in 10 years. That my girls will wrap themselves around me and go, I just want to be with Dad. We're so tempted to look at the, the hard situations of life and say, man, we need this. This is where it is. If I'm not miserable, it's not worth it. Friends, you don't have to be all happy and you don't have to be all miserable, but you do need to recognize that the Lord who's in control of all of them gives you exactly what you need when you need it. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And here's the thing about God's timing. You've, you've heard this before, right? He's never early. He's never late. He is always on time. Recognizing that God's on time means that we have to get off the horse of thinking that we are God. We're limited. We're finite. Sin has broken us but it doesn't have the last say, the Lord does. Do we trust him in our circumstances to work all things according to the good of his plan for us? I don't know what season you're in right now. I know that there are people that are grieving. Other people that are celebrating. Other people that are facing financial hardships. People that are just absolutely killing it with financial joy. Friends, let me just remind you that you are not so important to be able to establish what is according to your time. The Lord is the one who is over time. We are not. So instead of griping through our misery or longing for the next thing that may make us happy, I think what we need to do is adopt a mentality where we recognize God's control over time and we submit ourselves to his plan within time. The first half, right, we can recognize, okay, I can't control everything. That's easy. But have we submitted ourselves to the reality of God's plan in time? I wanted this. I longed for this. I prayed for this. I, gr I was grinding it out for this. I sacrificed. Did you submit yourself to the Lord? Let that be your question. Did you submit yourself to the Lord and his plan and his will for your life, his authority over your life? Or did you try to take hold of the reins and do it yourself? Now, the beauty of our choices, the beauty of our responsibility is that God does indeed work in and through our choices. He's sovereign, absolutely abundantly clear. The scripture says he's in control. He's got the final say on everything. And we do ultimately have responsibility. I've used this illustration plenty of times, right? 
right here on the corridor, 85 and 66, what's there? There's this thing called a crosswalk, right? You guys seen that? I love going up and pushing the button. I'm always nervous when I hit the button, though, because I'm like, did it actually go, right? You, you like, hit it, and sometimes it makes a sound. I like the ones when you go to the city, and it gives you a countdown and tells you exactly what's going to be happening, and then it goes so far as not only to give you the picture, it tells you, walk, right? That's really helpful if you need instructions like I do, right? Uh, but the thing about crosswalk is we, we still have to look both ways before we cross the street, right? The, the sign can be telling us, it's time to go, go. And if we just trust in the sign, the crosswalk, right, there's, there's other factors at play. The other factor is we don't control who drives, who follows the speed limit, and who follows the laws of the signals of the traffic lights. We've got to look. Now, does God know what's going to happen there? Yup. Without a shadow of a doubt, I can say, yeah, I think he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he makes us responsible. They're not contradictions. But ultimately, there is one who rules over the other. We're not God. He is. We are finite. He is infinite. Now, that may not explain all the complexities. There's more nuance to that than time allows for us in this one sermon. But it is helpful to remind ourselves we're limited and he is not. That's what the preacher drives home in the second half of this. After the poem, he gets to prose. He actually drives home the message. He's saying, hey, here's the reality. You're going to go through everything. Every extreme of life has been given to you and appointed because God has appointed it. Now, we need to embrace the implications of his sovereignty over time. Look at verse 9. After all of these things, the preacher drives home what Dave Gibson calls a sucker punch of reality for us. There's this time, a time for love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. And the question, what does a worker gain for all of his toil and from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given to the children of Adam to keep them occupied. To keep them occupied. Gibson says this, he says, there's a time for everything. Life is a lyrical arrangement of good and bad, of relational complexity and nuanced subtleties. And at the end of it all, what happens? You go into the cold, hard ground in a box. There's nothing. You're dead. You've experienced it all. You came and went, and look, the preacher says you have no lasting gain. Right? Everybody loves to reminisce on the times. You go to a funeral, often people share all the wonderful things about that person, right? Actually, it, there's like great comfort for people. I'm going to say something that's going to sound very not kind and unpastoral, but I'm going to say it because it's here for you, so just remember I'm a person, <laughs> okay? How many of you love the, the mic share time at funerals where people tell stories? It makes me cringe. Because what I see in those times is that people, when they, they're sharing, they're often sharing the peak of someone's life and not the whole of their life. What they cherish. And, and it's not that we shouldn't cherish anything. We should hold on to what is good. But I have seen people who have actually not dealt with relational realities 
in moments like that. They say, oh, you're such a good dad, such a good grandpa, such a good father, such a good husband. And yet, he treated his children poorly, didn't manage his money well, didn't leave anything behind for his kids, and here we are celebrating somebody who, quite honestly, if we were just truthful, probably didn't live up to what would be decent by the world's standards. Now, that's not a judgment on any individual, but it is a reality that we face. We often glamorize people in their death without dealing with the reality of our relationships. It points us to that first truth in this passage. There's an end date. So we need to deal with our relational difficulties before we can no longer deal with them. What do we gain from all of this? The preacher says, occupation, busyness. But he doesn't just end on that. Right? That would be a horrible ending. That would be a miserable sermon. <laughs> he goes on. How can it be that we're occupied and then he has to say what he has to say in verse 11? Look at verse 11, guys. In the reality of all this, the children of Adam are occupied, they're busy, they're working, they're struggling, they're grinding. But verse 11 says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. Okay, that's chapter 3, verse 1. We get that reality. But then the second half of that verse, he has also put eternity into their hearts. Every human has this longing for what is bigger than themselves. You want to convince somebody of something, tell them about something greater than themselves. And not only does he say he put eternity into their hearts, but he then establishes it in the root of God. No one can discover the, the work of God that he has done from beginning to end. So there's this one hand where it's like we're busy and we're doing everything, struggling, and on the other end of this, God has created this longing for us that we can't comprehend perfectly within time. So what do we do with this? A preacher drives home two points. Verse 12 and verse 14. Notice the phrase, I know. What does he hold on to with certainty? Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them, that's for people, than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. So while he like sucker punched them in verse 9 and told them, hey, at the end, you just go right into the cold, hard ground, he says, enjoy the good life. Enjoy the good life. And then verse 14, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding or to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. What is the meaning behind all of time? What is the meaning behind our experiences? What is the meaning behind our relationships? It's to draw us to God so that we would be at, in awe of him. That's what the Lord's trying to do. He's trying to take us out of looking at ourselves and at looking at him out of looking at ourselves and looking to him. So, enjoy the life the Lord has given you. 
recognize that. It's from the Lord. Every good gift, every hard gift, positive and negative and everything between. Notice what the text says. Has been given by God in its appropriate time. I mean, have you ever just been like in a miserable season and been like, God, where are you? Right? Anybody been there outside of me? <laughs> right? Yeah, you've been there. You're like, why in the world am I going through this, Lord? This is horrible. Friend, here, chapter 3, verse 11, God has given that in his time. Your misery, your struggling for that moment is something the Lord has appointed for you at that time. And somebody's had joy, right? You've had, anybody had recent joy? Like really exciting, good news? Yeah, okay, yeah. Baby, there was baby born here last week. I got to lay my eyes on it. Sorry if you haven't seen Ben yet. <laughs> I'm going to soak it up. <laughs> uh, there was a wedding here. We saw a new family formed. There, there are good things. There are babies to come. Kaylee, any moment, right? Any moment, okay? Kaylee and Zach, another wedding there too, huh? Yeah, there's a big celebration. Zach and Kaylee got married recently, guys. Yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. When we, when we have joy, it's great to celebrate. When we're going through hardships, it's hard to, se- to see how the Lord's at work. But look at this. Everything has given, and it's time. God has appointed it in that exact moment, never late, never early, in that moment for us. Maybe rather than asking the question of why, we need to ask or look in our hearts and say, who are we looking to? Who are we trusting? Who are we believing in? These these remaining verses give us both comfort and challenge. The comfort is that God endures forever, that he makes everything for its time, and that that is beautiful. There is comfort in the reality that our work does indeed end in joy. And our comfort comes in knowing that God is going to see everything through. But the challenge of it is that while we're occupied by these tasks, the challenge is that we long for what's bigger than us access to the picture of God's plan. Remember, remember that Ikea question? How many of you have put something together from Ikea? I, the Lord is like the master builder who has the blueprints, and he's the only one that gets to hold on to them. Okay? We don't have access to the blueprints. We want them, and it's not a bad thing to want them. Insofar as we want him, and not just what's going to come out of them. If we want him, we desire what's good. But that's the challenge. Our hearts are set on what God has eternally set, and we don't know how it's all going to play out. So what do we do? We have to come to embrace God's sovereignty and our limitations. Friends, just a couple of applications I want to just leave you with as you think on these things. If we're going to embrace God's sovereignty and our limitation, I'd like to suggest that 
we try to learn to grow small. Dave Gibson, in his book, Living Life Backwards, talks about how this could be useful to us. He says, we need to learn to grow small like children who rely on their parents. Now, I'm living and breathing that 24-7 with my girls. Maeve wants to do everything on her own, right? Her favorite phrase, my do it myself. (laughs) And Isla doesn't have many phrases, but boy, can she move. She wants to like be in everything and do everything Maeve wants to do. And there are times where Isla wants to step down the stairs and she could just tumble down them, right? And I have to go and snatch her hand and say, no, little girl, you have to stay with daddy. Now, you can relate to that, but I need you to put yourself in the shoes of Isla and the Lord reaching down and grabbing your hand and saying, no, child, that's not good for you. We need to learn to depend on the Lord. Not just when it seems like we have big decisions to make, but in every moment of life, looking and depending on God. So, not just when we are thinking, should I shift jobs right now? Should I send my kids to school? Should I homeschool them? Should I make all of these big moments and changes in life right now? Those are not the only times to depend on the Lord. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you depend on the Lord in the smaller moments, when those bigger moments come around, it will be much easier to depend on him when difficulties and joys and big decisions come around. If you... If you want to see him at work in those things, it often starts in the little things. Depend on the Lord, like a kid depending on their child. And as we aim for our lives, we need to aim for what's eternal. So 10 out of 10 of us are going to die. And the reality of that is there is a short span of time that we've got to do the work of the Lord for his glory. Gene and Joan are like, yeah, right? Gene, I joke all the time that he's 25, right? He's actually 26. (laughs) But Gene, Gene has lived a full life. And like every time we talk, I can just sense that he wants to be with the Lord. <laughs> I know that. He's like, I'm, I'm ready. Take me home, Lord. That's, and I'm not ready for that, so don't make <laughs> any ideas here, right? I'm not ready for Gene to go. But I always am encouraged by how he looks to the Lord in his life. In this moment, in this season, he goes, I, I'm ready. But he's trusting him. Gene, thanks for ever being my, for my, being my forever sermon guy that I can just call on, as much as you love it, right? Uh, I'm just really thankful for how he's living in light of trusting the Lord, aiming for what's eternal. He might be in the last stages of his life, but I'm encouraged when he invites people from church to have lunch with him, because what he's doing is he's passing on his faith, his hope in Jesus to others and saying, this is the way I follow. There's going to be years and I pray decades of people who are touched by the life of Gene Light in this church. I know I will be. And that's a gift. Because he's aiming to live in light of eternity. Friends, are you living in light of eternity? 
serving the Lord for his kingdom here and now while you have the chance because here's the reality. You don't get to determine what's next. There's not, I'll wait until the next moment. If you're going to do anything with eagerness, anything with expectation, serve the Lord. Arrange your life in such a way that you're depending on him and aiming to serve him in his kingdom. And so finally, friends, as we learn to grow small and aim for what's eternal, let's remember we are going to work and it's going to be hard. But let's enjoy the life that the Lord has given us. We get to be together. We get to serve him. We get to embrace each other in the celebrations of life and embrace each other in the challenges of life. We are limited, but God is not. And isn't he worthy of our worship? Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we seek to serve him the rest of the time that he has for us. Father, we thank you that you are in control, that we're not. We thank you that we've seen you at work in our, our families, in our friendships, and in this body of believers. May we constantly run to you, trusting in you alone to give us all that we need to help us to remember your promises, to remember your word and its principles that we would not only submit to you, but see real fruit for your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I just want to invite us. We're going to have a time of corporate prayer.